In the game of ice hockey, there are several absolutes needed to earn a victory. Scoring, defense, and goaltending. No position is more crucial to this notion than a goaltender. The single last line of defense, a human fortress standing between the opposition and a solid 6x4 structure. Playing goaltender in the National Hockey League is a symphony of chaos and control, a heart-stopping ballet of athleticism and instinct that ignites the senses and captures the very essence of the game. In Anaheim Ducks history, no netminder better exemplifies that description than John Sebastian Chaguerre, the owner of 262 career wins and a decorated champion. Jiggy, as he famously became known, won the hearts of many with an otherworldly performance during the 2003 NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. His play earned him the Conn Smythe Trophy in 2003, despite his team finishing as the runner-up. No player has accomplished this feat since. In 2007, Jiggy helped the Ducks to their first Stanley Cup championship in franchise history. The six-foot-one-inch goaltender won 13 games during the Ducks' Cup run, a key fixture between the pipes during Anaheim's rise to the top. He was the youngest of five in a family where hockey was everything. Theirs was a full household with two parents dedicating their lives to their children, whose greatest strength was love for one another. JS, as he's known to all, has always been more than a goaltender. He's a model character whose love for his family, friends, teammates, and the sport of hockey fueled his desire to be great in life. In this journey, we see a young French-Canadian goaltender from Blainville, Quebec, who was destined to alter the course of his life, career, and that of an entire franchise, a life that truly came full circle as if it was always supposed to happen that way. This is the mighty journey of Jean-Sebastien Chaguerre. Thirty minutes outside of downtown Montreal, Quebec, is a small town called Blainville. The Jaguar family, who moved from Laval in 1989, established roots that remain in that same northwest suburb to this very day. I was uh, born in uh, Laval, Quebec, uh, up until 12 years old. You know, Laval has grown into a much bigger city uh, today, but uh, uh, it was most actually where we lived. It used to be more of a cottage country for my parents when they were uh, when they were younger. You know, as my, my dad's family used to have cottage here and there around there. And anyway, it was not very, very uh, rich, the neighborhood where I lived. It was uh, fairly poor. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a good place to grow up. Lots of kids, you know, lots of uh, young families and stuff like that. And then uh, from then, we moved on to a city called Blainville, uh, just north of Montreal. It's about, uh, you know, half an hour drive to downtown Montreal. And... Uh, you know, Blainville has also grown quite a bit, uh, you know, beautiful city, uh, lots of young families. And uh, it was a great place to, uh, uh, you know, grow. And I live, I still live in Blainville right now. So uh, it's, it's been a, a good place to uh, raise my kids as well. Born in the summer of 1977 to Claude and Giselle, JS grew up in Laval until he was 12. He was the youngest child with two older brothers and two older sisters all of whom played hockey, worked a paper route together, and discovered a passion 
for ice cream. We always had somebody to play with. Uh, and, and, you know, we always had a lot of action. Uh, you know, I had two older brothers and then two sisters. And then I was the youngest. So uh, we always had somebody to play hockey with. Uh, we were huge into street hockey, uh, going outside and in the winter, go to the park and uh, play, play at the park and hockey, you know, and stuff like that. So every day, basically, this is what I did. And uh, we never had a shortage of, of people to play with. We had lots of friends. There was always people in our house uh, or around our house to play with. And uh, so that was a lot of fun, lots of action. Uh, it seems like my parents never had a, you know, time for themselves because they were either at the rink or at the baseball park or uh, wherever that we, we need them to be f for sporting events. So uh, they were, you know, it, it, it was uh, quite a bit of fun to have uh, so many people around. J.S. looked up to all his siblings, especially his older brother, Stefan. I looked up a lot to my older brother, who was playing hockey, got drafted you know, by the Toronto Maple Leaf. So I, I wanted to be like my brother. He was my uh, you know, idol growing up. He was the, you know, who I wanted to be. So uh, although he moved early out of the house, uh, I was probably seven, eight years old when he moved. Uh, you know, he, he's one that I looked up to quite a bit. All the family were playing hockey because of my dad, because my dad was watching uh, Hockey Night in Canada. So he watched it all the times. And, and, and we, I remember that we were sitting on the floor and watching the hockey game with him. And my mom was there too. So this is um, uh, how hockey uh, uh, came in our family. We had a paper route that uh, we did as a family and uh, we would deliver the local paper and uh, some of it ended up in the in in the gutters uh, i believe because <laughs> we just didn't have the patience to do it but uh, anyway i was the youngest then so all i did is put the, the flyers into the paper all the you know the, the the coupons and stuff like that that was my job and then i didn't have to actually go to house to house to give up the paper jean-sebastien Jean loved uh, vanilla ice cream soft vanilla ice cream at the time i was working in a ice cream bar so the owner there knew my all my family and uh, i'll say four or five times a week uh, evening my brother was coming with my sister and the owner was making him a special ice cream cone for him it was uh, i'm telling you everybody loved him everybody loved him so When he was there, you know, blue eyes, blonde, blue eyes. Uh, all the girls were working there. Oh, it's Sebastian. I know Sebastian. It was, it was the cooklish. And it was just, yeah, local, you know, I, actually, if you ever come to Quebec, you know, there's two things we have. It's like we have breakfast restaurant and we have ice cream shop everywhere, you know, and it's like, quite popular. I don't know why. And uh, so that was my local spot. I used to go and then my brother would make me these giant ice cream cone and Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm quite a fan of ice cream. I can't have it anymore because, you know, I'm not as active as I used to be. So I got to be careful. But, uh, you know, when I was about, you know, 16, 17 years old, I, uh, you know, we didn't used to work out as much as we do now. Like, my, you know, the young kids nowadays, they, they work out so, so hard. But I would run uh, to the ice cream shop and that would mo motivate me. I'd get an ice cream and run back and that would be my workout for the day. So, you know, I was, I was good. I was happy. When his parents would travel nearly an hour to see Stefan play junior hockey, nine-year-old J.S. would hide in the back seat just to watch his brother take the ice. 
I played in the junior hockey uh, team in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu for three years. And at that time, and before that, uh, uh, each time that my dad was coming to the hockey game, uh, GS was there. He, he was always there. He came, he came, uh, each time that he, he can be there, he was there. And sometimes he was hiding in the car without saying my parents. Uh, and, uh, and he was, <laughs> During the the, the 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 road, he he was uh, he was he's was going up, and I I'm here, so <laughs> he loved hockey like that. Becoming a goaltender was manifested during late night hallway hockey with his brother. He always have with him um, a Kleenex ball, taped it with hockey tape, and he brought it everywhere. And he had a small hockey, you know, a smaller plastic hockey uh, to play uh, in the house. He brought this everywhere. Everywhere he, he went, he had this all the time, all the time, all the time. And even at home, when I was there, we were playing hockey, small hockey in the in the in the hallway. We had a long hallway, and he was the goalie, and I was shutting uh, the the his Phoenix ball to him all the time. We were playing hours and hours, and I remember my mom said, "Okay, it's time to go sleep now. It's time to go sleep." Although close in proximity to the powerhouse Montreal Canadiens, the Quebec Nordique were his first love. The undeniable love for his favorite team still rings true to this day. However, his biggest idol was none other than Patrick Waugh, one of the greatest players to ever don the legendary Habs sweater. You know, deep down inside, I love Patrick Waugh. Like I had, you know, I wanted to be him and he was such a, a competitor. You know, that's what I, I admired the most about him is like he, he would say something and be like, how can you say that and then play well after? But then he would just like show up and just, you know, have a shutout. And he, he was such a, you know, a, a big game type of guy. And that's what I, I admire the most about him. And I think he influenced a lot of kids in Quebec. That's why at some point we had so many French Canadian goalies. I think we all love Patrick Owen. He was such a big star here and everybody wanted to be like him. His love for the Nordique and Wa made for great entertainment among the family as it was a house divided between the Nordique and the Canadian. Oh, no, no, I hated the Canadian. And uh, I still do, I think, you know, I, I have a hard time cheering for them. Uh, even though we talk, you know, I work on TV now and we talk about the Canadians nonstop. It's just hard for me to put on a brave face and, a face and you know, say anything positive about them. But uh, no, I was a huge, huge Quebec Nordics fan. Uh, and growing up, you know, in, in Quebec, it was, you know, we talked a lot about politics and, you know, that was very, and then next thing we would go on to the Canadian versus the Nordiques. And it seems like it was half and half. My, my mom's family was from a Northern town in the North, north of Quebec city. And they were almost all Quebec Nordics fans. And then, uh, my, my dad's family was from Montreal. So they are all Canadians fans. And, uh, you know, it would create a lot of animosity in families and you know it was for fun but sometimes it would get ugly and uh, but uh, i do miss those days it was a lot of fun to watch uh, canadian versus the the nordics play while trying out for a youth team he met chris george a fiery confident and fearless player who became his lifelong best friend we were i think he was 12 i was 13 i'm uh, one year older than him and that was through minor hockey. So uh, we actually, he was coming from another asso association. And then there was that new guy coming in, uh, which is a goaltender. And on every level, 
you play like two years on every level. So it was a first year, it was a second year. And so we met through the camp and uh, obviously made the big team, which I got cut at the end. But this is where the first time uh, we, uh, we met. Throughout childhood, he continued to excel on the ice, playing in the Quebec International Pee Wee Hockey Tournament for the U-12 Montreal Canadian of Mill Eel. I ended up going to the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament and, uh, you know, to go there, you have to be first in your league. The way it is in Quebec, and there's like tons of teams from California now that, that's going from uh, since 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 the Ducks and everybody went in the league. Um, it's the biggest 12, 13, 14 years old tournament. Like all the pros, all the big stars in the NHL, they all went there. Everybody wants to go there. You're playing in the old, uh, now they changed the building, but you're playing in the old... Uh, Colise, uh, which was the uh, Quebec Nordic and the uh, former NHL franchise, you play in the building, you play in front of 10, 15,000 people. It's broadcast everywhere in Quebec. Um, and then it's teams from all around the world. It's the best team, the best players. Um, so when you play Pee Wee, everywhere, probably for sure in Canada, Quebec especially, but around the world, one of your goal will be to make it to that, that tournament. It's just like it's being a pro at the age of 12, 13, 14. We ended up, we had a good team and, and uh, we were, uh, we ended up being first and that team would go and practice with the Canadian. So that's when I, I first, you know, got to meet him and it was such an experience, you know, was a, and he gave me a, a goalie stick that day and uh, which I used for the rest of my uh, season. And uh, it was one of those old wooden stick and it broke about five times. My dad would you know, glue it and put some tape. And at the end of the year, the, the, the blade was so wide because there was so much tape on it and it was so heavy. But the key is I never lost with that stick. I played the rest of the year with it and won every game that I played them. And those lucky bastards got on the ice with the Montreal Canadiens and they had the chance to play or had the chance to shoot on Patrick Raw, which was like every goaltender idol at that time. And uh, actually got a great picture with him. Together, JS and Chris would spend nearly all of their time playing hockey, no matter the season or the surface. Growing up as a young athlete from Quebec, it felt as they were both living a dream. So I finally made, uh, got lucky to make that team. So we played that year at the highest level. And uh, this is where it really, really started, like to be a bit closer. So we played that that year um, together, plus on spring and summer hockey, elite hockey. So we play uh, there as well together. Yeah. It was to be serious. You know, I think, uh, you know, looking back, probably it could have been a bit more serious. A lot of conversation, a lot of breaks, you know, a lot of uh, the, the training would take about three hours, but it was, uh, you know, it was fun. You know, when you can go to the gym and have your best friend there, it's, it's always fun to, uh, uh, it, it's a good, you know, it motivates you to go and uh, it's a social time as well. In 1994, JS made the U-17 World Championship roster for Team Quebec. En route to capturing a gold medal, another lifelong friendship was born with Mark Schwinnard. JS and I met in uh, 1994, if you could believe it. Uh, we had this World Under-17 cha World Championship, and uh, we were playing for, both of us were playing for Team Quebec at that point. We won the, the tournament, and he was playing junior back then for a team called uh, Collège Verdun, uh, and I was playing for Bhopal. And I, I ended up being traded to Halifax, which was the team that... Uh, JS ended up in uh, after the team he was playing folded. And uh, obviously the first, I remember him 
right off the bat from being an extremely big competitor as far as uh, uh, wanting to win and being there and, and, and trying to focus every game and every day at practice and all that kind of stuff. But I remember that uh, we sort of had this uh, friendship chemistry right off the bat. Uh, we uh, ended up hanging out uh, most days uh, back in Halifax and uh, from then on uh, developed a, a very close friendship as far as uh, uh, on and off the ice. Team Quebec was the first of several teams that the pair would be teammates for. The Halifax Mooseheads, the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, and of course the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Although Mark was a new addition to the Mooseheads in 1995, J.S. was only a year removed from leaving his hometown after joining the first-year expansion Halifax club in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. But his natural leadership and easygoing personality helped Mark and his teammates feel right at home. When I arrived in Halifax after being traded from Beauport, um, at that point you have to remember, I think it was... Uh, December 30th, so right right before New Year's, and um, I, I arrived in Halifax. Obviously, I was a little shook up from being traded and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Jig was the one of the first one, if not the first one, to to really uh, go out of his way to make sure that I felt good to come in a team where uh, it was obviously a new fact. I, I was playing in Quebec for for my uh, hometown. Uh, being traded in Halifax, which was at the time the farthest team you can go, uh, a 12-hour drive. And uh, he was one of the the first, like I said, if not the first guys to really give me a hand and make me feel welcomed in the team, uh, obviously at the rink, but also off the rink. And I remember he was living in a billet back then, uh, really friendly family. Uh, he had the whole... Uh, bottom part of the house by himself and 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 uh, make sure we we spent a lot of times together there and, and just just making sure that uh you know coming into a new different city english language just making sure that i felt uh felt, felt good and, and felt uh, welcomed so he was uh, at that point i figured oh this guy is uh is not only good hockey player but obviously he's, he's going to be a good friend Junior hockey is a grind for players with dreams and aspirations of making it to the NHL, a rugged schedule that begins in September and can run as long as June. Daunting as it seems, the pressure is compounded when facing the challenges of juggling hockey and graduating high school. This is the time J.S. met his wife, Kristen. Well, it's funny because when I remember him being at our high school, he was kind of, you know, he's kind of walking around like he was you know, he, people knew who he was and, um, you know, in high school, that was like kind of a big deal, like that our, a junior hockey player was at our school and there was a couple of them that kind of walk around in a group. And, um, I just remember kind of, uh, sometimes he would pop into, uh, he had the same French teacher as I did and, uh, she just loved him because obviously he was French speaking and, Anyway, she kind of always gave him a pass when he'd have late homework and stuff like that. It kind of drove me crazy. But um, we didn't really know each other then. I have to say, I was actually there the night that he was uh, that he asked her out. And, uh, and and you have to remember, I think in junior hockey, we make about uh, $30 a week. And and so uh, <laughs> so I remember we didn't have we didn't have any any piece of paper to write his number on. So I think he wrote it on a twenty dollar bill. You know, I needed to get her number, and I didn't have any paper. So I'm like, you know, what can I write a paper? So uh, you know, probably a bit cocky, trying to show off a bit. And I took a twenty dollar bill and I wrote a number on it, and I was like, 
yeah, you know, I don't know that that was the right move to do, but anyway, I, I had their number. That's all I wanted. And and you have to remember that's practically the whole week's salary that he's running his twenty dollar bill on. But I was there, and I remember he was pretty nervous. I I remember because uh, you know when you see them together how, how how made for each other they are. But I mean, they're a lovely couple, and obviously they have a nice family and and all that. But back then already, uh, even as a nineteen year old, he was pretty nervous. Uh, yeah, but uh, thankfully the drinks were cheap where we were. It was like a dollar a drink, so you know we didn't uh, we didn't have to spend too much money to have fun, and uh, I still have a twenty dollar bill to uh, write our number on, so it was perfect. Then when I got to meet him later on, um, he's just not not a, a cocky guy at all. So he then I really got to know the real him, which is you know very sweet. In 1995, the NHL entry draft was in Edmonton, Alberta. You know that was a great day. You know one of my favorite day in my career. It's uh, uh, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of build up to the draft. Pretty stressful, you know. You you don't know where you're gonna end up. You did during that summer leading to the draft. We did. I did a bunch of tests, like you know, with other guys, and those were fun. You meet, you know, you meet the, the teams, and you, you you know they talk to you. You do interviews and stuff like that. So those were very interesting. JS compiled a strong resume with scouts, touting him as the highest rated goaltender leading into the draft. Accompanied by his father and mother, both of whom had never set foot on an airplane before, they flew to Western Canada for the chance of seeing the youngest member of the Jaguar family fulfill a lifelong dream of being drafted to an NHL franchise. Going to the draft, you know, my agent, you know, got a limo again, came and got my family. It was the first time my mom was ever in a plane and uh, she'd never taken the plane. My dad uh, probably had taken the Playing once, but I'm not even sure, to be honest. And so we ended up going from Montreal to Edmonton. The draft was at Edmonton. And uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. My mom sat with Mark Denis, who was another goalie. Uh, he played for Columbus. And, and uh, uh, so she, she sat in the plane with him. She was so nervous. She had to hold his hand. And I was like, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, come on, mom. Like, just try to keep it together. Jim Rutherford. They, of course, own the Detroit Junior team. They've had to change the name from the Junior the Whalers. Whalers. Junior Whalers. Select John Sebastian Kaguer. And it is Jean Sebastian at Jaguar. No fast one pulled in the last moment. He's a classic butterfly goaltender, as Bob just mentioned. And he had a great second half and a very good playoff, which really increased his stock. Played with, the, and here's one of the great team names of all time, the Halifax Mooseheads. And yes, they are sponsored by uh, the brewery of the same name. Absolutely. Patterns and style after Patrick Wine really turned the heads of a lot of scouts. At the beginning of the year, he was rated as the top goaltender coming in. He was the top goaltender picked in the midget draft. But as the season went along, he was eclipsed a little bit by Martin Bira. But then in the playoffs, he reasserted himself, and there was more than one team, more than the Hartford Whalers, believed Jaguar was the best goaltender available in this year's draft. Selected 13th overall in the first round by the Hartford Whalers, J.S. finally had his moment. Uh, you know, it's one of those moments that, uh, you know, it, it will, will ever stay with me. And um, and then at the draft, the, the Whalers, which was one of the team that I had never talked to. Uh, so I didn't expect them to draft me. I ended up being drafted 13 overall. And I was hoping, you know, beginning of second round, you know, I was like, maybe end of first round if I'm lucky. So at 13, I didn't, I wasn't even listening. I was, you know, I think I'm ADHD a bit. So I was like looking around and I was like, you know, losing my, my, my steam a bit. And then I saw my dad get up. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, he's screaming. 
you'd heard my name, but I, I didn't. So it was, uh, you know, it was quite a surprise, but a good surprise. And uh, yeah, a great, great day. In December of 1996, Halifax was on Christmas break and JS was tearing up junior hockey. His performances earning him the chance to not only represent Team Canada at the World Junior Championships, but the Hartford Whalers, who also called upon his services. You know, when you're young, at, at 18, 19, a goalie, it's hard to know when exactly you're going to play. Uh, the team, the Whalers at the time were horrendous. So we, uh, you know, they didn't want to put me in a situation where I, I would lose my confidence and stuff like that. So I played one game before Christmas. And then uh, they told me if, if I wanted to, there was, there was two possibilities for me. I, I could have gone play for Team Canada Junior uh, during the Christmas period at the World Championship or stay with them and they would make me play some more games. And it was such a tough de decision because my heart was telling me I wanted to be in the NHL. I was 19. Uh, I felt like this was my, my shot to be there. And then, you know, you play for Team Canada, the World Juniors, like it's, you know, there's... No better experience. They ended up winning the gold that year and everything. So, uh, you know, I was torn. Uh, you know, if I'd have to do it again, probably I would pick Team Canada. But uh, knowing that after that, I would play the NHL, but, you know, you still know. So I picked the Whalers and uh, ended up playing more games with them. And uh, it was a fun experience. It was, I wasn't ready. You know, I was 19. You think that you're ready and you know the world at the time, but... Looking back, I was not physically ready. I was not mentally ready. Uh, my game was, you know, not where it should have been to play in the NHL, but it was a fun experience. On December the 12th, 1996 in Philadelphia, the 19-year-old goaltender from Blainville, Quebec, made his National Hockey League debut against the Broad Street Bullies. I remember the first game, he called us in the morning and he was saying that he was playing against uh, Philadelphia and he was uh, playing for Whalers Oxford at that time. So it was his first game. We started to look in Montreal which sports bar who, were, uh, who was uh, showing that game. We found one. So... We went there because uh, we were at, well, let's say 45 minutes from, from Montreal. So we went there and watched the hockey game uh, against Philadelphia. And uh, it, I still remember that. I was so nervous. It's unbelievable to see your brother first time in the NHL. Uh, oh, boy. I still remember it. And it was so fun to see that. Unbelievable. After a brief eight-game stint, J.S. returned to Halifax and earned All-Star honors in his final junior hockey season. As life was changing for J.S., tasked with a full-time schedule of professional hockey, some uncertainty crept in when he was traded to the Calgary Flames on August the 25th, 1997. He almost quit hockey there. He almost quit hockey because he didn't know what to do. But what he realized, he was not doing what he had to do you know he was set to go to training camp he was he was going home for the summer um and then set to go to a training camp for the hurricanes um uh, at the beginning of the season i was in my second year of university in halifax and you know was doing my own thing so we kind of were like how is this even going to work and um initially we were like i don't think it is so we we, we briefly broke up and uh uh, then missed each other and didn't last very long, lasted maybe a, a month and a half, two months. And um, then we we're just like, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And we did because uh, he got traded 
to the Calgary Flames. And their farm team was in St. John, New Brunswick, which was a four-hour drive from my university. And so um, it was kind of just a nice little twist of fate that went in our favor. And so, um, yeah, I'd go to school during the week and uh, go see him when I could on the weekends. And we kind of kept that going for a couple of years while he was uh, with Calgary. Following three challenging seasons with the Flames, JS was traded on June the 10th, 2000 to the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. This trade ignited his career as it reunited him with legendary goaltending coach Francois Allaire. Well, you know, when Julie came with the Ducks, uh, it was a, I think it was a tough time in his career. In Calgary, it didn't go very well. He was going in the minors all the time. And he was kind of almost... Uh, uh, minor hockey goalie at that time of his career. So when you come with the with with the Ducks, uh, that was during the summer. He got traded during the summer, and uh, because he was living not too far away from me, I got his phone number and I said, "Just uh, just come in my house, and uh, we're gonna talk. We're gonna have a meeting." When I went to Cincinnati, for me, I was at a low point in my career. It was you know it didn't go well with the Flames. I lost. I believe my last 17 games with the Flames that I played with the, the St. John Flames, they traded me for a second round pick. They just wanted to get rid of me, gave me another chance, but I ended up at the right place, you know, with the with the Ducks. And then the first day I met Frankie when I got traded to Anaheim, he called me right away. He's, he lived not so, he lived not far from you know, still does, not far from where I live. And he's like, I want to meet you tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it's like it's July, you know. And but he's like, yeah, yeah, I want to meet you and. We ended up doing a video session. Like he showed me how I wanted to play. And earlier I told you, you know, I, I left this house. I'm like, well, this is, this is going to be easy. Like, this is great. You know, and with Frankie, all you needed to do is work. If you wanted to work, then he would put you in the right direction. I have to be honest with you. He really take the challenge. I offered to him to change his style and change his working habit. And he really take it personally and he really challenge himself to, to change because his career wasn't really good, wasn't going in the right direction. Uh, you know, for a first round pick after three years, he was in the minors. So that wasn't a, you know, a good situation for him with Calgary. Their shared passion for the game sparked a change in the preparation that JS took in his career. During a midsummer conversation with Francois, JS knew that ice cream and natural ability would not be enough to reach his goals. I needed to put my game back together and I, I needed to put my confidence back together too. And Frankie really helped me from that first meeting that I met him. And then after that, he, he asked me to come and help him with the, the goalies. You know, he had a bunch of guys that he worked with that were juniors at the time. And he's like, you know, can you come and with me? We'll work with those guys. And and, uh, you know, at the same time, I can work with you and you can, you know, you can be the pro showing them what to do and stuff like that. So I went and uh, the only problem is the night before I had a bachelor party. It was Marty St. Louis bachelor party and I played with Marty in St. John and I, I might have overdone it a bit. And I showed up not in the best condition at the, at the rink and that was a struggle. That was like uh, one of, I still remember today, one of the worst hour and a half of my life it was just a struggle and he was so mad at me he was like you know gave me crap he's like you cannot do, like show up like that you can't you know you're out of shape you're terrible you can you can't keep up with, with like even junior kids he was so mad so this is when i i decided to really like 
take control of my my career, you know, maybe become a pro. You know, I hired a conditioning guy and I still work out with Steph today. So he, he's also had a great influence in my career because he really showed me how to work out. There was no more running to the ice cream shop. I never had any, any pushback. And the way I coach, I'm always looking for feedback from my athletes. So it's not that... It's not an army style of type of training for me. So it's, I've got to bring a plan and we always adjust according to how the, how the guy react. And uh, GA and I, like I said, we had a great relationship. And even to this day, I knew, I knew that GA after a couple of years, I would say probably the, the third, third year that I, that the third summer that I trained him, he came and I, I saw something in his approach that he, he wanted to go to the, the next level. He wanted, he always wanted to be in the, at the next level, to be honest with you, but he got to a point where he kind of established himself in the NHL. And I saw during that summer that being in the NHL was not enough for him. He wanted to be great in the NHL. Just not wanted just to be a, a player. He wanted to be an impact player, an impact goaltender in the NHL. Now armed with renewed vigor, it was the beginning of a resurgence for JS with the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. His game was back, and so too was his good pal from Halifax, Mark Schwenard. Together, they knew only time held them back before getting their chance in Anaheim, but the pair would have a little fun along the way. He's always been the kind of a prankster, and obviously he's one of the guys I've enjoyed playing pranks on my whole career. We, we do... Uh, signings together and, and if he got uncomfortable he started to sweat through his his pants and his shirt and his jacket and all that kind of stuff and that made me that always made me cry laughing there is a game i pranked him um i'm not too sure he would like me to tell that story but you know when he got called up i pranked him as if he was being called up and as it turns out i was i was uh, I was imitating a voice of the GM to, to let him know that he was being called up. And as it turns out, he wasn't. And so when he called me back to say, hey, Mark, hey, Schwinnie, I, I got called up. I'm going up. Uh, apparently, Guy Bear got uh, injured. I was like, really? That's pretty cool. So when are you leaving? <laughs> as it turns out, I, I told him right then and there. I said, sorry, buddy, that was me. But uh, that was the one time I, I think I, I took it a little too far. But uh, as it turns out, it was pretty, still pretty funny. <laughs> Well, yeah, Sweeney, gosh, he's, I don't know how he fooled me. Like, you know, I see him every day. I talk to him every day. We drive to the rink, you know, together. And then just out of the blue, I get this phone call and he pretends to be the GM of the, of the docs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I'm all surprised. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what's going on. He's like, oh, yeah, like, I think it was the Bear. like, oh, I broke his, his arm. You're, you know, we got to call you up. You bring a lot of clothes. You'll be here a long time. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. This is great. So I, I hang up and first thing, the first person I call is Schwinny. I'm like, hey, Schwinny, you won't, won't believe what happened. You know, they, and he, like, so then he hangs up and he, he like, I think he felt so bad. Like, I think he, his girlfriend was so mad at him. And she, he's like, you know, I think he, he took it a little too far on that one. <laughs> so anyway, it was funny. It was funny. At the end of the day, you know, like we, we ended up laughing, but I couldn't believe it that I was so, uh, I'm like, you know, I thought that was my moment. I was going to be called up for a long time. And I, you know, things were going so well in Cincinnati. So I was like, you know, I was just waiting for the, you know, when you play in the AHL, all you do is wait for that phone call. So anyway, it, it, it wasn't my time then. It came shortly after. 
So I didn't have to wait that long. But uh, and honestly, I don't remember. Oh, like Shuni's so good at telling stories. I don't remember how I paid him back, but I uh, sure I found a way to uh, figure out a way for sure. <laughs> By January 2001, JS was recalled to Anaheim, where he would stay for the remainder of the season as the backup for longtime franchise goaltender Guy Bear. Well, you know, I think most goalies are aware of uh, goalies around the league and uh, especially some of the younger guys where they were drafted, what organizations they're in. And, you know, we were able to get Jiggy through Calgary and knew that he was going to be coming in. And, um, you know, it was funny meeting him the first time in training camp. And he wasn't slated to make the team because it was myself. And I think Dominic Roussel was my backup at the time. But, you know, we've all been in that position before, right? You're the young guy trying to to find a crack in in the lineup and, and trying to get in. But immediately I knew he was an incredibly hard worker and he was a, a, a very likable kid. And so I think that really was, uh, you know, a good, easy transition. Like the goalie room is so small that uh, even in training camp, there's usually like, you know, five or six guys at most. And so it was kind of an easy transition uh, for him, him to come in. All the while we knew, you know, uh, kind of the hierarchy of the position, you know, starting goalie, backup goalie, and then a guy who's, uh, you know, going to try to push uh, both of us for a job eventually. Those first few months of the season flew by, and Abair was later traded to the New York Rangers. This move, along with a new contract signed in mid-August, paid immediate dividends for JS. Posting career-best numbers and asserting himself as a bona fide starting goaltender in his first NHL season. In the midst of a breakout season, JS had the biggest moments of his life just ahead, and the first was proposing to Kristen in December of 2001. I uh, actually got to engage at Mark's place in in uh, Anaheim. Uh, he, he had a place in Tustin. I remember him being there as well the night that he proposed, and uh, I think it was at Christmas time at my house back in 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 Anaheim, and uh, I was really happy for them. We had a little Christmas party with him and his girlfriend, and there was Kevin Sawyer and his girlfriend was there, if I remember well. Anyway, this is when I I proposed to my wife. The individual accomplishments were never the true desire for JS. He wanted to be great, but he wanted to win. And his next season put him on the game's biggest stage against some of the most iconic names that have ever laced him up. Entering the playoffs as the seventh seed in the Western Conference, Anaheim was set to face the defending Stanley Cup champion Detroit Red Wings. Is the road to 16 wins with game one of this Western Conference series against the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Tonight's starting goaltenders are brought to you by Tim Hortons. Roll up the rim to win. 25-year-old Joe Sebastian Jaguer has never played a National Hockey League playoff game. He'll face off against 35-year-old Curtis Joseph, who's fifth. Well, last year's defending Stanley Cup champs, led by Steve Eiserman, Sergei Fedorov, and Brennan Shanahan. But this is a dynamic line we were alluding to in the open hall. That took and Zetterberg, they've been outstanding in the second part of the year. Bird's already talked about the grind line. And watch for Nick Lidstrom, the most efficient player in the National Hockey League. It was David versus Goliath, the mightiest test for the Mighty Ducks. After surviving an early onslaught from Detroit, JS and his team turned the tides. A war of attrition ensued, and Anaheim was about to get jiggy with it. He's one of nine Ducks in the lineup tonight playing in his first NHL playoff game. 
Lidstrom plays it ahead for Robitaille. Through the middle, goes to Lariano. Shanahan, quick shot. And Jaguar squeezes the pads together, has a second look, and makes the stop. The last 29 chances. Mike LeClaire brings it across the line, trying to drop it off for Thomas. Turn it over, and Fedorov brings it up the other way for the wing. And for Shanahan. Back for Fedorov. Fedorov takes the shot. Jaguar the save. Chelios now pitches up from behind Ruth, and Fedorov brings it back the other way for the wings. One-on-one with Keith Carney. Fedorov spins back, tees it up. Jaguar blocks that away. That's a great goaltending right there. He it's off for Dandino. Pick shot in front of the rebound. And Jean Sebastian Jaguar hops on that. Fedorov stepping through the middle. Mike LeClaire knocked him down hard. But back come the wings. Here's Eisenman. For Shanahan. In front. Chips on goal. Great chance there for the Red Wings. Daringly in this game, plays it down behind the goal for Holmstrom. In front he goes. Right in the shot. Puck's still loose. Robitaille standing there. It's at the side of the goal. A mad scramble for the Jean Sebastian Jaguar. Puck's still loose. Here's Holmstrom behind the goal. What a chance for the Red Wings. Jaguar couldn't find it. Robitaille was standing in the crease. No side door. Jaguar just got a piece. It might have hit the post. In overtime, a demonstrative JS waved no goal on a shot that appeared to end game one from Luke Robitaille. Shoveled it there for Ozilich. Woolley banking it off the board. Here's a foot race for it. Robitaille against Soleil. Luke Robitaille breaking in. Takes a shot. Hit the post. The red light is on and they're calling it a goal. Robitaille wins it. This will surely go to video review. I remember Jiggy specifically waving it off like you had this crowd in Detroit just yelling out of their lungs, you know, the game's over, all the, the, the Detroit players are coming out and celebrating and all that kind of stuff. And he's like waving it off like there is no chance that puck went in the net. And I remember all the guys are on the bench thinking, I hope he's right. <laughs> I hope he's right. Play resumed, and in the third overtime, Anaheim's captain, Paul Correa, delivered the game-winning goal, and the Mighty Ducks took game one. When we scored that, that game winner, and then I think we installed a, I would say a panic, because obviously Detroit was an unbelievable team with all the guys they had, but I obviously put in a, a sort of a, a, some sort of doubt in possibly the fans, possibly the hockey world that, you know, we were there to play and to win. It all started from from the net. Obviously, Jigger made some unbelievable saves during that uh, that playoff. I remember at one point he had his mask off, and 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 you know he had those kind of uh, highlights that were, I think, to still to this day, really really interesting. So uh, he, he certainly made a, a point to uh, to keep us in the game, certainly in those kinds of occasions. I was nervous as hell. You know, my first game against the the Red Wings. I'm like, uh, and they had won the cup the, the year before. They had, they had so many good players. You know, I think seven, eight, nine players of that team is in the Hall of Fame today. So it was, you know, as a young guy, still, you know, not many, no experience in the playoffs whatsoever. I didn't think we had a chance in hell to win the, you know, even a game against the Red Wings. Sure thing too, they, they score like in the first five minutes. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long night. Anyway, so... But, you know, I stuck with it and I was ready. You know, I was uh, physically, mentally, I was ready. The team was also ready and, uh, you know, we fought it off and, you know, the, the, the rest is kind of history. But uh, it was a, w- what a great experience. JS, with his 63 saves, set an NHL record for most saves by a goaltender in their playoff debut. This was the beginning 
of one of the most dominant goaltending playoff performances in the history of the NHL. J.S. and his teammates would sweep the Red Wings and stun the hockey world. The Mighty Ducks, led by their stellar goaltender, had slayed Goliath. I was watching the game on my balcony because I didn't want to like uh, uh, wake up anybody in the in the house. Uh, and at that time, I had that 14 inches TV plug with the wire outside and just screaming, like grabbing beers and and from every game it was coming possible. Uh, and it was no, I didn't expect that they were the Detroit Red Wings. They were just like the beast. The only way to reward a team who upset the defending champs, you might ask? Well, you get to play the number one seed in the Western Conference and the second best team in the NHL regular season, the Dallas Stars. Anaheim-Dallas is an interesting matchup because it's so different than Anaheim-Detroit. Dallas is a much more physical club. they got tons of skill up front led by Mike McDonald. They're a great defensive club led by Darian Hatcher who will be clearing the front of his net. They're going to be men in front of Jaguar that never happened against Detroit and they'll shoot the puck a lot more from the point than Detroit did. Like a Hollywood script, game one of this series went to overtime. Five overtimes to be exact. Uh, you know, I... I... It, it's, it's one of those games that still to this day kind of feels surreal because every time I hear in the news that a, a game went into overtime or double overtime or triple overtime and all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember specifically that game because I, at that point, we're playing Dallas. We're in Dallas. And uh, every period in overtime, there's no commercial. So, so it goes really, really quick. And uh, we're in the dressing room in between periods. And, and obviously we have, uh, we're drinking water, Gatorade and, and uh, everything we can get our hands on as far as power bars or whatever. And, and by period nine, there's nothing left. I swear, there's nothing left. And even Jig at that point was a guy that sweats a lot, obviously with all the equipment and all that kind of stuff, is, is being, uh, you know, plugged in with the IV in between periods to make sure he doesn't pass out from, from dehydration. JS, with IV needles still attached to his arm and another shot off the crossbar, made 59 saves, setting up Peter Sikora to score in the fifth overtime, which gave Anaheim another game one victory. so exhausted and uh you know every game was hard for me just a regular game three period was always hard every practice was hard physical wise like nothing comes easy i you'd see me play golf you'd be like what's wrong with this guy you know and uh any sport like i'm just terrible at. but anyway i work hard at hockey and i enjoyed it and you know so for me like going through like overtime and in, in playoff it's a stressful situation on top of it, I'm a heavy sweater. Like, I just sweat like a mad person. And, you know, it, it creates a lot of problems. Any given game, I lose from 8 to 12 pounds. So now you had periods to that in a building like uh, in Dallas, which is super humid, super hot, uh, where you sweat a lot more. So 
by the end of the game, I couldn't even speak to the trainer. I couldn't, you know, I like to take my equipment off, but I couldn't do that because my, my jaw was cramped from dehydration. My hands were cramped, everything. So I, I, I can't remember, I think, uh, anyway, I'm like the trainer, I'm like, you got to help me put my equipment back. I can't, but I couldn't talk to him. So I was like, no, I just hand signed no to him. Like, come help me. And I was like, gosh, somebody's got to score a goal. Like something's got to happen here. And, you know, I think I would have been happy if they scored, I think at that point, but Dallas, but I'm like, luckily we won, you know, almost right away in the fifth overtime, you know, it, it, it was painful. And it was, uh, I remember too, like, you know, I knew that this would happen. So I asked the doctor to be prepared and to give me some IV between periods and stuff like that. But I don't know if you ever had a doctor giving you IV. They're terrible at it. It's like, it's the nurse that does it. So I was, I had blood everywhere. I was bleeding. It was like, but you know, it's just confined the vein. I was dehydrated. Anyway, just to say, it's like, at some point I'm like, you got to leave the catheter in there. Like, just leave it, tape it. So, so that we don't have to go through that every period. So we ended up leaving it there and I played with it in my arm and then we'd come and, and anyway, it was, it was hell. It was hell, but I, I never want to live that ever again. But it was, you know, I think it, it was necessary to, after that, be able to win in 2007 because you live through those situations that are just crazy, really. When Peter Sikora scored that game, I remember uh, all of us just obviously jumping on the ice, but, but just feeling completely and utterly just so tired and all that. I think it was by then it was people were sleeping in the stands or kids or just... It was one of those crazy experiences where you obviously know it's not going to happen again. And uh, uh, you you wonder at, at that point how many more periods Jake could have could have kept going. I know he wouldn't have quit on us, but obviously with the uh, with the IV being plugged in every period, I think it was it was starting to get uh, to get tough for all of us. To this day, it remains the longest game played in franchise history. Anaheim eliminated Dallas in six games. And by this point, had won seven of eight games by one goal. JS and the Mighty Ducks began to enter rarefied air in the hockey world. They had beaten the top two teams in the West, and now only the young Minnesota Wild remained in their path to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Mighty Ducks in the world then witnessed the greatest goaltending performance in a single playoff series ever. when you're a kid. Look at this. This is reality. Oh, oh, baby. Oh. He got it with the only part of his stick that was on the ice was the heel and of his stick. Four wins, three consecutive shutouts, 122 saves, an unfathomable 992 save percentage, and just one single goal surrendered. There was no doubt. J.S. was the greatest player in the world at that moment. Welcome to the Cup Finals game number one. We began with 30 teams about eight months ago. Now, here we are down to two teams. There is no greater stage in hockey than the Stanley Cup Finals. Whether you grow up playing on the pond, playing neighborhood street hockey, or even floor hockey in the hallway, this was the moment. Yeah, I wish I could go back to those two months, you know, and feel like you can almost feel invincible, but... I don't know. I mean, that's the best I've played in my career, for sure. Unfortunately, 
The clock struck midnight on JS and the Mighty Ducks as their Cinderella story fell painfully short in Game 7 as they fell to the New Jersey Devils. Well, it still hurts for Duck fans. I'm sure New Jersey's pretty happy, but for Duck fans, it's still, I, you know what, I, I still feel this thing, and it's been 20 years, so there you go. Three different times my career, my goalie win the Colin Smythe, which is, I think, one of the toughest trophy to win in hockey because it's not... You don't have to be the best goalie. You have to be the best players for two months. And Jiggy have been the best player in the NHL for two months. Uh, and it's happened three times in my career, but this one was probably one of the best one I've seen. JS, with tears in his eyes, was named the NHL Stanley Cup Playoff MVP and Conn Smythe winner. Only the fifth time ever a player on the losing team has won that award. It was incredible. For sure, at the end, it was a loss, 3-0, but a lot of people were crying. And uh, But at the end, when he received the con smite, so I, that was incredible. Throughout this magical two-month run through the playoffs, JS and his soon-to-be better half, Kristen, were in the late stages of planning their wedding. I mean, it was such a whirlwind. We, um, it was actually the year we were getting married. And, you know, when we when we initially um, picked a wedding date, we we said, well, it can't be after it has to be after um, I think it was June 7th um, because that was the last day. I don't remember the date exactly. Maybe it was June 11th. We just kind of laughed like that's the game seven. Like if you go to the finals, that's game seven. And he really did go to game seven of the finals. So we got we got married only like a little over a week later. But um, it was sort of a whirlwind and then obviously ending like in complete heartbreak. So um, that was tough. But I really feel like and I'm sure he would say the same thing, like the the, the whole process of it, um, just like uh, seeing what living that kind of pressure is like and um, just uh, the the endurance that it takes to do four rounds of playoffs, all of that. Um, I think that's ultimately why he was able to then, um, you know, get it done in, uh, 2007. So, um, I mean, you know, what the expression is, uh, you'll either win or, or you'll learn. Right. So I guess he learned that time. First of all, we had a wedding, you know, you know, uh, it's, it's a big event. It's a, it's something that takes a lot out of you in, in, in a normal time. But now my focus only had to be in hockey. That's hard. You know, it's really hard for, uh, for you know, wives and girlfriends when, you know, you, for two months, you're not available. Even when you're home, your mind is not really at home. You're just kind of focused. And I didn't really have much time talking about her wedding and stuff like that. And I put I put a lot of my very little of my energy towards the winning and more of my energy towards the hockey. So uh, you know you need to have a strong woman behind you to to understand that and and not be resentful towards you and your sports and your your job. And I and she was you know she was very understanding. She was having fun towards it all too, like she was enjoying it uh, as well. And it's. Uh, uh, you know, I'm sure part of her was like stress as hell and, you know, couldn't believe that we were going that far. But at the same time, you know, it's such a, a unique situation to be able to play in, in the Stanley Cup final that, uh, you know, she couldn't help but, uh, you know, enjoy it. And then 
you know, we had her dad that I couldn't say enough that really helped us. Her mom too. They they knew what, especially her dad. It was this hotel. He knew what needed to be done, so we didn't have to worry too much at the end of the day to uh, for a wedding to be ready. With his best friends by his side and Mark as his best man, only eight days after the finals were completed, JS and Kristen were married. Anaheim, coming off their best postseason in team history, knew the change was imminent. Win or lose, change happens every season for every franchise. Mark had departed to Minnesota, and franchise icon Paul Correa was now with the Avalanche. Expectations for JS grew even higher after his heroic postseason just months prior. An up-and-down 2003-04 season kept Anaheim out of the playoffs. But JS had the chance to finally represent Team Canada at the World Championships in 2004. It was a fun experience. I, I think whenever you, you get to uh, represent your country in, in a tournament like that, uh, I would say yes every time. You know, I know some guys hesitate and don't necessarily want to go in Europe and their season's over and whatnot. Uh, for me, I think it's just a great opportunity to keep playing to, uh, you know, Team Canada, they treat you like your goal, right? So you go there, they bring your family, they, you know, they, they treat your family like they're uh, royalty too. So I, I think, you know, it, it's so much fun. It's a great two, three weeks experience. Uh, you know, you get to extend your season, especially when you're not in the playoff. You extend your season to what the playoff would be like. So, uh, because not everybody can go through a regular season and then go through this, the playoff and still have energy. So you have to know what that's like. And so it, it really prepared me well for when we made the playoff. And, uh, you know, I knew that the Olympics or the, uh, you know, the World Cup or whatever, you know, that would be hard to do. We had so many good goaltenders in, in, in Canada that I wasn't quite there, you know, to make those teams. But to play in the World Championship where some of those guys don't want to go. And for me, I was like, I'll go and I'll have a good time. And uh, it never disappoint. It was uh, always uh, a fun experience. The NHL would endure a lockout in 2004-05 that would wipe out the entire season, and the Mighty Ducks would fall in the Western Conference Finals in 05-06, the final Mighty season. In 2006-07, Anaheim rebranded and simply became the Ducks. However, a Mighty roster was assembled, a mix of franchise pillars, rising rookies, and hockey legends. This team was truly built to win it all. I think our preparation was really good that season. To we knew we got a chance to win the playoff because we got Pronger, we got Nedenmeyer, we got Timo, uh, Andy McDonald. You know, I think we 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 knew we got a good chance. JS won a career best 36 regular season games, and Anaheim was dominant from the start, setting NHL records and tearing through the first half of the season. The Mighty Ducks of 2003 were a Cinderella story. However, these were the Ducks of Destiny in 2007. As the playoffs drew near, another major life moment was about to take place for the Jaguar family the birth of their firstborn son, Maxime. Max was born, I think. Uh, maybe three or four days before um, playoffs were um, due to start, and uh, we had no we had no indication other than the fact that um, I was in preterm labor and I had um, I had been on bed rest. But otherwise, like every everything had um, ultrasounds had all come out uh, perfectly normal and healthy, and so we really had um, you know no idea that um, anything was going to be. 
um, anything but perfectly normal when I um, when I um, delivered him. But um, it was it initially the, it, it was it was kind of like, well, we'll wait and see. You know, I think everything's fine. And then um, it, it kind of snowballed in the next two, three days that things weren't fine. And uh, that was obviously take hockey completely out of it, just like blindsided us. And we, um, uh, you know, we were kind of just fully in that trying to figure out what it exactly was um, going on with him. And um, he um, has a very rare eye condition that um, he's, we know now, and you know, we found out um, in the weeks following that um, he, uh, he, he's, completely blind in, in one of his eyes, but he is, has led, he's 16 years old. He's a goalie. He's leads a completely healthy life. And, uh, so we, we figured those, you know, that, that out all during the playoffs. So he had several surgeries. He had, um, a bunch of, um, tests under anesthesia and that was all while JS was, um, playing all those like really, um, intense, um, hard fought games. So for him, he had a lot going on. And as a first time mom, I, I did too. But um, once we found out that he was healthy in general, good health, I think we, we kind of just were like, okay, we can do this. And, you know, we always say now, if, if I knew then what beautiful life he was going to have, I would have lost a lot less sleep. JS resumed his duties as number one goaltender in net following a terrific performance from backup Ilya Brizgalov, who broke the shutout streak set by JS in 2003. Once he was back for the playoffs clinching Game 5 victory against Minnesota, he never relinquished the net again. When my son was born and I had to miss the last three games of the year, you know, not knowing what was wrong with him and, you know, was he fully blind and stuff like that, it was... You know, I just didn't have my my heart into the game and I wanted to be close to my wife and my family and stuff like that. And that's where you should be in those occasions. Briz ended up playing the last three games and he was amazing. Like he was just on fire. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. So I got this situation with my, my kid and my wife and I can see on the other side. I'm like, you know, this is my, I know that we have an amazing team. I know that we're ready to go all the way. And I see Briz like winning the last three games and he's been like amazing. He's playing uh, like like he was the year before, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be just a struggle. I know it. So I ended up coming back after we knew that my son was, you know, not in danger and and that he he, he was healthy and all that. And uh, when I came back, I didn't start the playoff those years. You know, like I missed the first. I, well, I was there, but I didn't play the first three games against Minnesota, and I, I was really pissed. I was pissed at, at Randy. I was pissed at you know at the situation. I felt like I, I I had showed during the year that I was ready and, you know, I had such a good season that I was ready to play those playoffs. I, you know, I know what it was like to go all the way and I was ready to go. But, you know, I think if I look back today, I probably would have done the same, you know, uh, I would have had the same decision if I was Randy Calal. You know, you have this goalie that hasn't practiced or played in, three, in a week and you have this guy that, played really well for you the last three games. So you have to make a decision and uh, any loss can just be the end of it in the playoffs. So uh, it was a tough, tough uh, two weeks, two, three weeks. But, uh, you know, I just ended up fighting for it. 
JS and the Ducks quickly dispatched the Vancouver Canucks before a wild six-game series against the Detroit Red Wings. Jiggy didn't have to be Jiggy with 60-plus save performances. He just had to be himself. Following a 5-0 loss, JS took it personal and the Ducks fought their way back to the Stanley Cup Finals. He doesn't like the spotlight. When I say people wanted the person that played the game for the right reasons, that was Jiggy. And being in Hanheim was the perfect fit for him because he could be himself. The Ducks and JS had one last hurdle, the Ottawa Senators, a team that had only lost seven total games since the beginning of February. But these were the Ducks of destiny, and JS was determined to deny a repeat of Stanley Cup heartbreak. Here's Pettit, trying to clear it, can't go check off, holds it in, six seconds left. You know, there, there's no word to describe what it's like to win the Stanley Cup. I'm sure you've heard that many times. Some guys that won it, and for that team, you know, has worked his whole life and his whole career, and you know, you work so hard to get there. And and uh, so hockey-wise, it's it's you know, I never thought I've won the Stanley Cup a hundred times when I was playing as a kid, you know, and in the street and stuff like that, but. I never thought it would actually happen to me, you know, and then you, you lose in 03 and you're like, what what if that was the chance, you know, that what if, like, I'd never go back to that. There are two famous photos of JS. One is a 12-year-old with his favorite player, Patrick Waugh. The second, JS alongside his wife, Kristen, and his son, Max, whose favorite player is his father. You know, just knowing my son was healthy, just knowing that... Uh, we finally achieve uh, like a dream, you know, a mine. And like, it, it was just a euphoric moment. Uh, one that I'll never forget, that's for sure. You know, and to be able to share that with Frankie and to share that with my wife that had sacrificed so much because you got to realize if 03 was one thing planning a, a wedding, you try to go through 07 with a newborn and, and you know, there's no way I'm getting out at night. It's just not happening. So... Like, as much as you do sacrifice as a hockey player, you know, your surrounding, your immediate family, you know, they have to do the same sacrifice. You know, they have to be there supporting you. And again, for two months, I was somewhat not present, you know, and you're, you're focused on hockey and stuff like that. And it's really hard on your family and it's really hard on, on the wives and the kids. And But I think at the end, it's it's worth it. And it's it's something that we, uh, my wife and I both, both cherish. But to be able to share that again, after that with your, your, my dad and my, you know, and Frankie and people that matters and then bring the Stanley Cup home, you know, there's no better feeling. When celebrating a Stanley Cup in your hometown, the Jaguars only needed a few things, the Stanley Cup and each other. Unbelievable. Crazy. I should say crazy. Uh, yes, crazy. Yeah, but see, again, another great side of his personality, who he is. There's tons of funny stories of the Stanley Cup. Not quite sure if we can uh, if we can if we can tell them. But he rent a like there's a huge huge uh, sports bar chain restaurant in, in Quebec. He rent one. So I don't know the numbers, but it's at least between two and 300 people that went there. So he made himself available for the city, the kids, signing and everything. But when he did that party, he was like, Chris, make sure I don't forget anybody. Starting from uh, like younger age, seven, eight years old, because 
everybody that you go through your career as a hockey player or whatever you want to do in life, you need to take something good from them. Like you need, they, they impact your life and everything. And that was another, just that just show uh, the way that he is humble and like never, never uh, always remember, um, made sure that uh, we don't forget anybody. And that was amazing, like 200, 300 people. So yeah, that was, uh, that was quite of a party. But then he had the cup too at his place and that party was memorable. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. It was uh, just a fun, you know, I, I didn't want to go too crazy on it. Really, I wanted to share it with as many people I knew as possible. Francois Beauchemin and I were lucky enough to have it for three days between the two of us. So we had like a day and a half each, but we, we mixed the second day. We mixed it with going, you know, went to the children's hospital and stuff like that. So we did a little bit of charity with it because, you know, I think that's just the right thing to do. And we thought the same way. And uh so it was nice to be able to have an extra day there you know after that it was just sharing it with the the, the city you know the where i grew up uh and and make sure that i could show the kids here in blainville you know where, where i'm from now and stuff like that that it's possible you know it's i was a kid just like them dreaming about the stanley cup and uh you, you know i'm no different than them i just worked hard for it and here's the proof that anybody any one of you guys can do it and uh so that was fun there was a great event And then uh, after that, it was a bit more private, more like uh, the family, the direct family, my brothers and sisters who supported me my whole life. And, and then uh, it was after that with my uncles and cousins and whatnot and friends. And the, so it was a fun night. I think um, my parents always taught me that family was everything, you know, and on both sides, they were close to their brothers and sisters and uh, French Canadian. They we really had that community uh mind aspect and you know like we we like our family and we 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 tend to live close to one another again still today uh my brothers and sister they live about two minutes away from from me you know and uh it, it's kind of the way we were raised and uh, so i i shared it with them because i thought you know that's the way it should be js often described as a man of humility made sure that everyone had the chance to see him with the cup jig has always been an incredible Uh, hockey player, but I think he was even better as a friend, if that's even possible. You know, uh, he's a guy that cares, and I think that's the, the main key. He cares about people. He cares about his family. What I love, though, he brought the Stanley Cup because my my mom had Alzheimer at that time, and she were she was living in a, a special place for people who uh, who had Alzheimer. He brought the Stanley Cup there. To see my mom, we are, we were there, all the family. I don't know if you saw the picture there when we all the family with my mom sitting there. I don't know if she, I don't think she realized what happened there, but it was nice because he didn't forget. Said, mom, uh, this is for you. That was emotional too. That was emotional. You know, his mom, his mom was just as much uh, an impact as his dad, but in, you know, different ways as moms and dads can be. But um, his dad was, was very, present hockey wise he um jazz called him after every game um and i think that was you know it, it did it did um have a huge impact on him the year that claude passed um you know that that missing uh, that something missing after every time he finished a game or you know uh waiting to hear his you know his take on on the game and um You know, I think that was very, um, that was really tough year for him. 
you know, as well. His mom, his mom had, had been sick for a really, really long time when she passed and it was not by any means easier. It was, it was one of those situations where you grieved for a long time before it actually happened. But his, his dad was definitely a huge presence in, in his life. In 2010, JS would be traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs and then eventually the Colorado Avalanche, where he would remain until his retirement in 2014. In another full circle moment, while peaking at the final games of the season, Colorado had their last game against none other than the Ducks in Anaheim. That season was a bit of a, you know, different for me. I, I started the season and uh, Fr- Francois was back coaching me, but I, I had Patrick Watt, who was a head coach, you know, which was my idol growing up and uh, everything comes full circle. There he is coaching me. And, you know, it was a bit stressful having him as my coach because he's probably beside maybe Marty Brodeur, the only two goalies where I was really intimidated by, you know, and it was just, he has such a big presence. When I see him, it's like I, I freeze, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, it wasn't all roses, you know, that year with him. You know, I had a few arguments with him and stuff like that. But, at the end of the day, when I realized and decided that uh, this was my last season, you know, it really like ticked me off. You know, I'd started the season so well. I'd, I'd won my first seven games and, you know, I, I was the backup, but I was like seven and L. What more did you, you know, you want from me? But, uh, you know, I guess they wanted to go younger and stuff like that. And it took me a while to really be comfortable with like, okay, well, this is it. You know, this will be my last year. And, but once I decided this was my last year, I had such a blast, you know. He kind of got lucky. He was able to decide when this was over. Because a lot of hockey players, they don't decide. You get you get injured. Uh, there's no team that wants you. He was able to decide that. Everywhere I went, it was like, oh, my last, you know, it's my last time here. My last game in Montreal, uh, which didn't go well. But anyway, it was my last game. And then uh, I end up... You know, you, you look at the schedule and then there was this last game in Anaheim, their last game of the season in Anaheim. Like, what, what did he ask that? And then I wasn't supposed to play. So there was supposed to be like, you, you know, we were still fighting for some positioning for the playoff. So Patrick had told me, now you're not going to play that game, but unless this, this, and this happens, I'm like, wow, that's never going to happen. Like, there had to be like, you know, three different games. Then I'm like, there's no way this is happening. So, you know, the last before that last game, I, I went out with my ex door neighbor, like next door neighbor, and we went like have a few drinks. My my wife was there, and normally I would never drink before a game, but like this, you know, I had some wine. I was like, oh, it's the last game of the year, like what, what, what? And then I ended up playing the next day. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare. It's gonna go so bad. It's around April, well, the end of the season, and I'm I'm on my way to Boston with my wife to go see the Red Sox for the season opener, and I'm in the car, and it's around 11 o'clock in the morning, and I see that Jiggy's calling me. I'm like, Jiggy's calling me today. At that time, I did it. It's it was weird because I knew he was playing. So usually on game day, we don't talk to each other. I answered, and he goes, Steph, panic mode. So what's going on? Panic mode. He said. I haven't practiced for four days because, because, because they were out of the play, uh, playoff picture. They were not doing any morning skates. So he's, he didn't play the, the two previous game. They didn't practice for four days. And, and for Jiggy, practices, routine was really important. So 
He said, Steph, I haven't touched the ice for four days. I'm going to be so bad tonight in that. <laughs> and I start laughing so bad because I like, I'm like, hey, Jiggy, you've been playing in the NHL for 16 years. I do believe you're going to be good. You're going to be okay. Yeah, but if the guys are bad in front of me, it doesn't matter. But me, if I'm, if I'm bad, I'm going to be on ESPN highlights the whole night because they're going to see, they're going to see the goals. And I start laughing. And, and I was like, okay, just relax. Go to your routine. I explain them. And we start talking. The night after the game, I texted him. I said, so, and he called me. He said, Steph, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I said, I felt like a rookie. I said, what do you mean? I was so nervous. I said, how can you be nervous? You've, you won the Stanley Cup. You won the Consumite. How can you be nervous on a game that doesn't matter at the end of the year, not even in the playoffs? He goes, I was so nervous not being, not being ready. He bagged himself during the warm-up. He said, after the warm-up, I was gassed. <laughs> and then we started laughing. And I'm like, how could that happen to you? According to me, your Hall of Fame career, you had an Hall of Fame career. And he said, I know, I should have trusted you, but I was so nervous. And even to this day, I'm telling you, we still talk about it and we still laugh about it. In typical JS fashion, he stole the show against the talented young Ducks and forced the game into overtime. Although he fell short of victory in the game, he was immortalized forever when longtime teammate and friend Temu Solani shared their final laps together. Ended up uh, losing 3-2, but it was a great moment. Awesome to be able to share that with Timu and awesome to play my last game in front of, you know, the Hanaheim fans, which meant so much for me. So that was a great way to, to end my career, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I might be a bit selfish here, but because of him, I lived the dream a bit on the side because I was going to see them like every year and meet the player, be in the locker room, being on the roads. So I was kind of living the dream. So... I was so happy for him that he was able to achieve that, but I was kind of sad for me because, hey, me too, I'm over. But uh, no, it was uh, it was uh, that that final lap with uh, Timu. I was by myself on vacation down south, and I think it was like I don't know, the Mex Mexico. I was by myself at the coffee shop in the morning, like viewing this from what happened last night, crying on the table, drinking my coffee. And people are saying, "What's are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm okay." Uh, it was just doing this with Timu. It just show again the type of player, the type of person he is, because Timu's a class act guy too. Um, yeah, that so was uh, the moment that probably hit me the most. I know it's it's an overused term, but when you go to war or battle, I guess you'd say on the ice, and and you go through you know some ups and downs and uh, triumphs and 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 being able to you know, win the ultimate goal as a, as a hockey player, you know, to be able to share that moment with the guys that, you know, you've bled with uh, is incredible. And you never forget that. And it doesn't mean, matter if you go, you know, separate ways and guys splinter off and are on different teams at one time. But I mean, I think for both of those guys, because of how unselfish they are um, and the love of the game that they have, I mean, it was only really fitting And that, you know, Temu, I mean, listen, he invites people over to a house that he doesn't even really know. I mean, he invite fans over like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? But I mean, that's just part of his nature is like, you know, of course, I'm going to go find Jiggy and we're going to celebrate this together. You know, it's my my last trip around the ice and I want to make sure that it's uh, as special to me as it is for for him and then the fans. So 
Uh, I don't think there was anybody ever surprised that that took place. And as you said, I mean, it is an iconic picture of the two of those guys, you know, kind of holding hands in in a you know like a triumph. That was never that game, and that's that's a, such a great stuff by Timo. Uh, and you know, Timo is such a nice guy. Everybody loved Timo. And I was there that game, and uh, you know what? I was looking to, I was watching that, and I say, "Wow, that's incredible! That's just an incredible moment for the fans, an incredible moment for Jiggy, and and what a classy move by Timo to do that." Oh, yeah, I'm I'm talking to that, and I got I got you know, I got all the emotion going on right now. So. Yeah, that's that was a great, great moment. I think one of the greatest moments at the Adirondack Ducks Arena, Stanley Cup for sure. That was great, you know, all the fans and and the celebration after. But this one was good too. They'll skate to their dressing room, and now Solani heads over near the bench, but not after he uh, hugs Jeff Shiger. And guess what? We're gonna take a lap together. Obviously, Chiki uh, has meant so much for me and this franchise. And, uh, you know, he had a great career and uh, we won the Stanley Cup together. So he's, he's in my heart for the rest of my life. That was like a, a, a dream ending, you know. Uh, and, you know, Timu is such a class act. You know, he's the nicest person that you'll ever meet. Uh, he's nice with everybody, the fans, he's nice, the trainers, the coaches and, and whatnot. Except the referees, you know, that wasn't so nice with the referees. But you know, I, and I felt that was his night. You know, he had done so much for hockey in California, uh, and I didn't want to take, you know, his his time away. You know, that's his moment, and that's his. But he, he insisted. You know, it's all him. He insisted on coming and get me, and I'm so happy that he did because it's one of my favorite moments ever in uh, my career. And As Jiggy gracefully drifted into retirement, he blissfully traded the roar of the crowd for the quieter but equally fulfilling life outside of the arena. Embodying the spirit of a true family man, his love for his wife Kristen and their children became the cornerstone of his post-playing days. His commitment to being more than just a goaltender shone through as he embraced the role of devoted husband and father. In the vibrant tapestry of his life, Jiggy continued to champion the values instilled in him during his upbringing in Quebec. The echoes of his childhood spent idolizing Patrick Waugh and cheering for the Nordique resonated in the warmth of his home, where hockey wasn't just a profession, but a shared passion that bound the Jaguar family together. Whether it was his oldest brother, Stefan, his parents, Claude and Giselle, or his siblings, hockey was the thread that wove the fabric of their lives, creating a rich canvas of memories and shared experiences. His selflessness reflected a deep-seated desire to make an impact in the lives of others, a sentiment that mirrored the qualities that made him a beloved teammate and a leader in the locker room. Whether he was coaching his young boys or simply relishing the quieter moments with his loved ones, Jaguar's post-playing years illuminated the diverse qualities of a man whose impact extended far beyond the crease. As the final chapter of his playing days closed, the legacy of Jean-Sebastien Jaguer continued to unfold, leaving an indelible mark not only on the sport he graced, but on the lives of those fortunate to share in his extraordinary journey. And that is the mighty journey of Jean-Sebastien Jaguer.